Um, again, thank y'all for being here. You know, I, I pray that, uh, that that what the Lord had to speak to you this morning was personal. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's just, again, there's just so much that we can say about that. But, uh, but we can never be changed because the Word is what changes us. So it's that time in, in the service here is that we come and that we're just going to dive right on into the Scripture. And uh, before we even get started here, yeah, I, I want to go to the Lord in prayer uh, because I definitely need His grace this morning. I need His empowerment to, to help me to speak to things that I don't even know to speak or even know how to speak. Because I've learned that if I if, if if I begin to go through the motions, then I'm just relying on my own strength, and that's that's not who I want to be. You know, if if I ever if the Lord even knows that if we become big or we or if I become someone big, and if it causes me to lose my walk with Him, then I'd rather stay right here. That's so much more important to me. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you again today. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have been here with us this morning, that you came rushing in like the sound of a mighty wind, Lord. Lord, and that you fill the room, Lord, we, where we are dwell. Lord, that your presence is here this morning. Father, Lord, and we are changed, Lord, because of your presence. We're changed, Lord, because of your word. We're changed, Lord, because of conviction. We're changed, Lord, because of the foretelling of, of the truth or the things to come. So, Lord, as we just gather at this time, Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would be here with us continuously. Lord, that you would give us your grace. Lord, that you would help us to incline our ears, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us, the church. Lord, that we would open our eyes, Lord, that our eyes would be open, Lord, to see the very things that you want to show us in Scripture, Lord. Lord, and I ask, Lord, that you would give us all the heart, Lord, to be able to receive all that you have for us, Lord, through this word today. Lord, bless my mouth. Lord, bless the words that will come forth from my mouth, Lord, that I would only speak the words that you have given me utterance. Lord, shut my mouth, Lord, if I say anything, Lord, that's not of you, Lord, this morning. So, Lord, we just thank you. We praise you. We glorify you. And we honor you because we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So as we are continuing in our series called The Bigger Picture, and, and we all know that the puzzle is, is something that has to be put together if we're wanting to see the full picture. So, so if we remember last week, oftentimes we refer to the box to be able to see what the picture is and to see what the picture is for our life is we have to look at the box. We've got to look at the box. And, and this is the box. This is the story that God has for us. This is the instructions. That, you know, we, maybe some of us have heard it said before. And uh, I mean, I, I would find it to be true, but I wouldn't hinge on this. You know, the Bible, some people say, well, the Bible stands for what? Basic instructions before leaving earth. You know, and you know, and and I was like, okay, well, that's that's very good, you know. And then we also, we you know, we've kind of heard, you know, well, when you have kids, you're not given an instruction manual on on how to raise your kids or what to do for your kids, but every bit of that can be found in Scripture as well on how we're supposed to raise our kids and how we're supposed to discipline them and and how we are to uh, to to lead them to the Lord. 
in their walking in their relationship because the essence of what that really is is God has made us stewards. He's given us kids and has made us stewards to do what? To teach our kids how to have fellowship with God. He's given us kids to teach them how to be adults so that they can do what? So that they can have kids and that they can raise their kids and teaching them how to be adults. So that doesn't sound much different than our mission statement that we have here is Matthew 28 and 18. Go therefore into all nations, making disciples of all men, speaking to them all the truth that I have taught you and teaching them. So, so, so we have that same thing is that how, how symbolic is that for us to have kids and teach them how to be adults and teach them how to raise their kids? You know, so, so a lot of times what we do is as parents, we, we, we have a default and we go back to how we were raised. And we've learned that either I don't want to raise my kids in this manner or, hey, it worked for me, so I want to do the same things to my kids. But you know what I like the best about that? Is I get the best of both worlds. Is I got the way that I was raised and the wife that my the way that my wife was raised. So we raised them in the manner that we were both were raised. So so then you know and, and that's what we do and it it just it makes it so beautiful in how God works. Um, but today I, I want to talk about I, I want to start with my flagship scripture. And but before I do, I always have a subtitle for our series. And you know I could I could I could just say the bigger picture part two. But I always like to have a subtitle, and it's called Creating the Borders. When we, when we open up the puzzle box, and we break open the bag that all the pieces of the puzzle are in, and we throw them out there on the table, and then we set our box up, and then we're, okay, this is our picture. This is what it's supposed to look like when we're done. What is the first thing that we typically do when we're putting a puzzle together? You're creating the border. But I want to get even a little more specific than that today because Becky, she just jumped all on that. The four corners. The four corners are very obvious, right? Because they're both flat on one side. So what does that do? This is your limits here. This is your limits. So where I want to go today is I want to talk about creating a border and creating this border of this plan that God has for us. And that this border consists of, but not limited to, some very valuable information, some very important characteristics uh, that we'll find through Scripture. But as always, like I said, my flagship uh, Scripture for this series is going to be Jeremiah 29 and 11. And it reads like this. Now last week we read the before and the after knowing that God had a plan, but here was, here was the plan, but, and this was what was going to happen once the plan, uh, dur through the duration of the plan. So Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you. So when we think about that word plans, it's also interpreted as blueprints, or it's also interpreted as thoughts. So I know the blueprints that I have for you. you know, how many of us have ever looked at a set of blueprints before? And it's like, it gets very detailed, don't, does it not? I mean, with measurements and where bolts and things and all, just all kinds of things, where things is, are supposed to be. You know, we, you, a lot of times what comes to our mind are house blueprints, but there's mechanical blueprints as well. And they can become, you know, get very strategic in, in that process there. 
And um, you know, so unless you know what you're looking at, you really don't know what you're looking at. It just looks like something that's just like, man, that's neat, but I have no idea what that is. But 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 when we kind of get to the sense of things here, it says, here's what Jeremiah had. Well, not what Jeremiah. Jeremiah spoke this through the movement of the Holy Spirit. He said, "For I know the plans that I have for you." So notice it says plans, right? That means it's. It's, it's a continual. It's more than one. It's continuous. So when you have a set of plans, what do you do? Is it just one page? You flip it. Oh, well, there's the next page. And, and so what you'll have is you'll have a spec sheet. So we have specs or uh, specifics that we say on that. So we'll start again. For I know the plans that I have for you, say the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope you know and everything that God has for us I mean I just keep saying this and this has been this has been the battle that I've been facing for the past little while is the struggle of, of not knowing the everything about God's plan because I, at the end I know what God wants to do but it's all that in between that it's like oh, what's going to happen here so so I have to sit back I do. I literally, I have to step back from the situation and, okay, God, what does your word say about this? How am I supposed to be viewing this? And so oftentimes when I begin to uh, view or begin to look at things in the wrong manner, excuse me, the Holy Spirit is very swift to remind me that, hey, your thought process is wrong. And... Um, so, so last week we, we spoke about the be, uh, beginning with the end in mind, right? And, and within the life of Abraham, we saw that God's plan unfolded just like God said that it would. Now, did it take time? Oh, absolutely it took time. I mean, it was 600 years from the time that He was promised until the time that the first part of the promise was fulfilled. And then, then it was another 400 years before kings came into the picture. But guess what? It still happened. And Abraham wasn't even around to see that, right? But Abraham still believed. He still trusted that, hey, God, you have a plan. And, and, but, and your plan starts with me. You know, so it, I, I see in what God wants to do here that this church may start with me, but it may not end with me. You know, my family, you know, my son-in-law, it may start here with me and my wife, but it's not going to end with me. It's not going to end with you. It's a lineage that continues. So if we could go back a, a step more, it, it might have begun with my mother-in-law. And now it's moved on to y'all. And then one day you'll have kids if the Lord uh, tarries and if that's what the Lord desires. And, and then the lineage continues on. So, so God has a plan, but each one of us play a very important role in that plan. A very, very, very important role. Um, so, uh, so you and I still have the promises for our life, but we want to take this plan of God a step further so we can walk this magnificent plan out that God has ordained for our lives. Today we will talk about how to start the puzzle. How to start a puzzle. And oftentimes, I, I before I met my wife and 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 my mother-in-law and all of them uh, to do a puzzle, uh, it did not even dawn on me. But hey, do the corner pieces. But again, that just seems to be the obvious, right? right? 
but it just didn't dawn on me. I'm pulling them out and trying to start putting things together and things aren't supposed to gather together that way. There's a plan, there's a process to things. So we want to point some of these things out today. Uh, so today we will talk about how to start a puzzle, not knowing where every piece goes, but knowing that the completion of the unknown will produce what the box has shown. There's a lot of unknowns, there's a lot of uncertainties in our life. But if we follow these instructions, if we follow them closely, we're going to build exactly what God has for us. So it's why it's so important that our plans look like God's plans because if our plans don't look like God's plans, then we're working off a different set of plans. And if we're working off a different set of plans, then we're not going to get what God is trying to build in our life, what He's ordained, not just for us, but for our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. So we, we got to follow that to the T. And uh, so creating borders gives us an outline of this picture. This outline helps us define the everything that we are supposed to be as we just said. Let's dive into God's Word and by the time we finish with this sermon, we will see what type of outline or border that we are building from. So my next section of Scripture that I want to come from, and you know, I try to be very uh, lenient today. I know last week I had a lot of Scripture and most of the time I will always have a lot of Scripture because I don't want you to think that it's me that's bringing a Word but I want you to know what God has to say about these situations because when we know what He has to say about it and not what man has to say about it, then that changes the aspect on it. We know what the aspect is. It changes the view of the picture. So I'll be coming out of Psalms 139 verses 16 through 18. I'll be re reading this out of the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. So here's what David had to say, because we're going to be talking about David today. So Psalms 139 verses 16 through 18, and it reads like this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your books were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. Again, the same word thoughts is the same word as blueprints. Oh God, uh, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they will be more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So David here was making this declaration, and maybe you've heard me say it out of another translation, but, but let's just make this real plain. David confessed and made this declaration that, Lord, before I had lived one day, what does that mean? Before I was born. Before I was born, Lord, you wrote a book about me. God wrote a book about you. He wrote a book about you. He wrote a book about me. And He wrote a book about anybody that may be viewing this online or anybody that may be listening to us via podcast. But He wrote a book about your life. And all of those were what? What did Jeremiah say that all of those plans looked like? They were for a hope and a future. And then, then David took it a step further and, and he said that, that your thoughts for me outnumber all the grains of sand. Now, we kind of talked about that a little bit last week. If we take a one cubic box of sand and we 
take the shovel and we're putting sand in this box, how many grains of sand do we think is in that box? A lot. I hear you. <laughs> Somebody said a lot. Just take a wild guess. One, one billion grains of sand approximately is what fills up that box. But yet David said Look, that your thoughts for me outnumber the grains of sand. So if we take one cubit box and his plans for us outweighs and outmeasures that then why would we ever settle for an ordinary plan why would we ever why would we ever settle for something so much less than what God has in store for us why would we why will we is because we we've not read his word we failed to, to listen and to hear what He has to say to us in reference to that. So again, to reference the plan that God has for me is so much greater than what our mind can fathom. Well, what does that mean? He just, he just has so much more than what we can ever think. What we can ever imagine that it could ever be like. It, it's just, it outweighs every single bit of that. But what, now what I want to do is I want to go... And I want to talk about David for a little bit. Now, David covers so many, let's just be real honest with you. He covers the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and on into the Kings and in Chronicles. You know, we talk about King David here. Uh, and, and David, when we mention the name David, what's the first thing that comes to your mind about David? A man after God's own heart, and and honestly, I don't know if my wife was reading my sermon. <laughs> I don't know if she got a sneak peek on that. I don't know, but but we but we're kind of going in that reference today here a little bit. So I want to read out of First Samuel, and and so I don't want to read so much scripture that we begin that we just make the whole sermon or the whole lesson about reading scripture. But I want to do is I want to give you an intro to David. I want to give you an introduction to David. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And for those that are opening with your Bibles, I'll give you a few moments to get there. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 1. And it said, Now the Lord said to Samuel, well, who was Samuel? Samuel was the prophet. You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. So we're going to move on down to verse 10. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are, all, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. So what was, what was David known as? He was a shepherd. He tended the flock, right? 
So, so what better person to try to establish as king? Uh, I'm getting somewhere. Just follow me here. He said, so send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome. Kind of sounds about like Richie over there. <laughs> With beautiful eyes. Okay, now we're not talking about Richie no more. <laughs> I'm just kidding. With beautiful eyes. And the Lord said... This is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had bought, brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned back. So there are, so, so, so at this point, David had been anointed king, but David was still just a teenager. He was just a young man, if we could say it that way. So we, we don't really foresee a young man becoming the king when Israel already has a king. So if King Saul was still alive, but yet at the same time, well, what happened here? God had rejected King Saul because King Saul was disobedient. He did everything that God told him to do except for two things. So what happened here was God rejected him because of disobedience. So, so here's a little nugget to go on top of that is that we can do everything that God tells us to do and we begin to miss something. We didn't do what He told us to do. Well then what happened there was it's still disobedience. Incomplete obedience is still disobedience. Incomplete obedience is still disobedience. And so at that point, God had rejected Saul. God rejected him as king, but yet he remained king. So you know what else that tells me? Is that God can anoint us for a position, but God can still fire us and we can still work in that position. There's a lot of ministers right now that God has fired from being pastors, from being leaders, but yet, because there is still an anointing upon their life, they still operate in that, but yet God has rejected them. We, we, we see that taking place uh, all, all across the world. So, so we want to be careful with ourselves is that God has anointed us. God had a plan for King Saul, but because King Saul made his own plans, then he could never finish establishing what God wanted to do there. So it's just that easy to step out of the will of God. It's just that easy because of disobedience. So, so as time moves on, time moves on, and so, you know, uh, after, after King Saul has been rejected, then it says that the Lord allowed an evil spirit to come upon King Saul and to torment him. So like the only way that he could be soothed is if somebody played music for him, because we all know music is soothing, right? It kind of changes our persona. Man, that was a nice word, wasn't it? It kind of it changes our movie. It changes the things around us. It changes our atmosphere. So I know for me, I like to go upstairs, and, and I don't absolutely need worship music or just music within itself to put me in the presence of God, but I'm going to tell you what, it sure helps. It sure helps, so it creates that atmosphere. So, so, so what he needed was he needed somebody to come and play the harp for him. Well, somebody said, hey, there's this young boy that Jesse has that can play the harp. 
So he summoned. He summoned for, for Jesse to send his son to come and play the harp. So as David played the harp, it soothed him. And, and that the demon or the evil spirit would no longer torture him. So as time moves on, I can begin to imagine in my mind that David is beginning to visualize, hey, God is setting me up for the throne here. He's, he's putting me in the king's palace. He's put me as a servant of the king. So now I can serve. And then the next thing that happens is, 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 is that the... Um, that Israel uh, gets into battle, and you can find all this in Scripture. I, I just I did a lot of reading yesterday uh, just to make sure that I could follow the storyline here the best that I could this morning. So, so uh, the Israelites got into battle with the Philistines, and we've all heard of Goliath. Uh, just a wild guess. Does anybody does anybody know how tall Goliath was? Nine foot. Nine foot. Nine foot nine inches tall was how tall he was. And I remember a sermon when I was a young man, young man, a young boy, a young teenager. A man preached a message one time, and he said, ten foot tall and bulletproof." And it was a story about David. And I've I've just never forgotten that title because that just really stood out to me that he was ten foot tall, and you know, he was uh, he seemed to be bulletproof because nobody else wanted to fight him. But what happened here? was that when David went there, so what, what was Goliath doing? He was defying God and he was mocking God. He was mocking God. And by this time, David, had was we already saw that he was a shepherd. He was taking care of the sheep and the goats, right? So, so at that point, David told King Saul, he said, he said, hey, look, he said, I'll go fight this uncircumcised Philistine. And then Saul looked at him. He said, man, you, you just a boy. And this guy's been in war. And training for war since he was your age. There's you just you just a little fellow. You ain't you no bigger than a squirrel. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you about knee high to a grasshopper. <laughs> and David was he was a guy of short stature. So there's nothing wrong with being short. No pun intended. I love you. <laughs> I do. I do. I love you. I love you. I love you. But but. But David, so, so what did King Saul do? He allowed David to go fight him. So David went down there by the brook, and what did he do? He reached down there. He picked up five smooth stones. And he had a slingshot. Not the slingshots like we got now. He had kind of like two ropes and then a, a pouch on the end. You swing it like this. And then you release one of the ropes and then and then the, whatever is in there, projectile go, goes flying to whatever your object is. And by this time, you know, David had done told Saul, he said, man, I've killed a lion and I've killed a bear. So I can, I can fight this uncircumcised Philistine. So what does he do? Is at, he grabs those, those five smooth stones and he puts them in his pouch. We would call him a man purse or a satchel today. I don't have one of those. And if you have one, that's fine. I don't, I don't have nothing against that. Um, so he put put him in in his in his pouch, and as he began to approach Goliath, he pulled out one of the stones, and he put that thing in there, and he began to to fling that thing, and he threw it, and it hit Goliath right there in the forehead, and it knocked him unconscious. It didn't kill him; it knocked him unconscious. And David went over there, and he took Goliath's own sword, and he cut his head off. 
So the question is, is why did he need the other four stones? Well, let me ask you this question here, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes you just use that one scripture to help you with whatever you may be facing that day. And then the other four are for some other times. If there's no ammunition in your pouch, what do you have to draw from? If you don't have more rounds in your magazine, well then guess what? You out of ammunition. You ain't got no more bullets. So what do you do? You keep that thing full. That's probably one of the practices they tell you. Hey, during downtime, hey, let's just re refill your magazine. So after David had done that, so so then then Saul brought him in and made him his armor bearer. Oh, so now David's head is starting to get a little bit bigger now. So now. I'm another step closer to the king. And then eventually what happens was Saul got jealous because they, the, the people began to sing about David and here was a song that they sung. I'm not going to sing it, by the way, unless y'all want me to sing it. Uh, I'll, I'll wait till we're off camera to sing it. But the song that they sung was that, that Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. And so what happened here was David got jealous not David, I'm sorry, Saul got jealous. He got jealous, so he began to envy David. And he began to think, okay, well, David's here to take my throne. But the reality is, is David was never there to do that. Excuse me. Wow, excuse me. And uh, so what happens here again is Saul sends him out. He's like, you know what? Go, go fight these Philistines. He said, so... Uh, he was promised to marry one daughter and then something happened there and Saul ended up giving his daughter away to someone else while David was out fighting. So he promised him another daughter. He said, but I need you to bring me a hundred foreskins of a hundred Philistines. David brought back two hundred foreskins from two hundred Philistines. So he brought him back and he allowed him to marry his daughter. So guess what now David is? David is now the son-in-law of the king so now he's another step closer to being king and then Saul becomes envious again because David has become successful in everything that he's doing did we not read that back in Psalms I'm sorry first uh, Samuel that 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 it said that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and and the Lord was with him from that moment forward so in everything that David did, the Lord was with him. So, so what happened here was Saul recognized that the Lord wasn't with him no more and that the Lord was with David. So he's like, I'm going to lose my throne. So again, these evil spirits begin to torture him yet even more and more and more so. And he ended up throwing a, a spear at David and he tried to kill him. So David fled for his life. So now the plan as king is looking to be far-fetched because now he's running for his life, right? So now that he's running for his life, but David had, had David lost sight of the anointing upon his life. David never questioned in Scripture, but with actions of fear, he allowed intimidation to take root. Have you allowed your situations to be to prophesy above God's Word? 
have you allowed situations in your life to dictate what the Word says? Have we allowed our situations to dictate what God's Word says or does God's Word dictate our situations? That's only a choice that you can make if you want to remain a part of the plan. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul states this, For we walk by faith and not by sight. So how do you define faith versus sight? Anybody? Faith is a belief. Sight is what you're actually seeing. So, 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 if we want to define faith, then what does faith say? What does the Bible say that faith is? Hebrews. Hebrews, it says that for now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, so faith is, faith is believing for something that you've not seen. So, so are we believing what God's Word has spoken about our life? So if you bear with me here, we're going to get to these four corners and we're going to talk about this and then this is just going to blow up. So, but what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to be a little academic here and I'm trying to, to lay a little bit of ground on this part. So faith is what you can't see. Sight is what you can see, right? So if we, if we base God's Word off of what we can see and what we can't see, then it's going to tell us if we have faith or not. So as David continued to run and hide for his life, God's plan was still happening. Even in David running and hiding. Even in David running and hiding, it was still a part of God's plan. Because why? Because here's what God was doing to David. God was refining him. God was refining him through this process. I don't understand why this vision that you've given me, Lord, is not looking like what you showed me. But the reality is, is this has been a process for Pastor James. Is Pastor James is being refined. You know one of the things that Pastor James is being refined about? That this ain't about me whatsoever. This ain't about me whatsoever. It ain't just because I have a title where I stand up here behind the table and I speak a few words here and there. It is, it's so much greater than that. I just happen to be part of God's plan. I just happen to be part of this strategic plan. And, and so, so I can't allow what's going on around me to dictate what God's plan has said about my life. So during this process, it's part of God's plan of refining who Pastor James is, refining me. So let me ask you the question on this is, how is God refining you? How is God refining you? See, because we, we, again, we go back to that example. If I take this necklace here, if I take this necklace, and if I place it in a crucible, and I heat the furnace up, and I place this in that crucible, and then I put the crucible inside of the, inside of the fire, what's going to happen to this gold? It's going to melt. It's going to become liquefied, right? But you know, how many, how, how, gold, gold, pure gold is what carat? Does anybody know? 24 carat. So this necklace that I'm wearing, the necklaces that you may be wearing, the rings that you may be wearing, I guarantee you they're not 24 carat gold. So you know what that means? Most of the time you're either 18, 12, or 10. 
So when I think I think this necklace here is 14 karat. So what does that mean? 14 parts out of 24 is pure. That means the other 10 parts are not pure. Do they look like it's pure though? Will it not be shiny? Will it not look good when it's all nice and clean? But you know what? When you when you place it in the fire, it shows the realness of what's there. It shows us the realness of what's there. So, so at that point, and only at that point can those things that are not pure, these things that are not of God, at that point and only at that point can those things be removed from our life. And this is a refining process and this is part of God's plan that we become refined when we're not seeing His plan being fulfilled but it's all a part of His plan. So we saw this taking place in the life of David that he was being refined. He was having to walk by faith and not by sight. If I walk by how I feel every day, well then, it, you know, our feelings is like the wind. They're subject to change, right? They're just they're subject to change because one day you might be happy and the next day you might be down in the dumps. One moment you might be fine and then... Now, let me just be transparent here. I was happy today I got married and probably about two months after that I'm like, why in the world did I ever marry this woman? But you know what? It's been a part of the plan. It's been, I, I know my wife probably says the very same thing about me so let me just make that straight for the record as well. But, but marriage has been a refining process for not just me but for her as well. So the things that we're going through because you know, we're going we're gonna to go through the fire regardless. Why not let God remove what's not Him so that we can be pure gold. See, when you, we become pure gold, we become what? We become malleable. Well, what does malleable mean? I can easily be changed. It don't, it don't take much effort to transform me into something different. It doesn't take much to change me into something different. You know gold is the only metal. Gold is the only metal that, that can be, how would you say it, not, not refined, but it can be hammered. If you, if you kind of picture here with me, you can kind of hammer it, kind of like, like a blacksmith would do with a knife or something, and they're hammering it, trying to flatten it out. Gold is the only metal that you can make it so thin that you can almost see through it. So we, we become almost transparable that we can be easily be seen through. And we become malleable, and God, it, it doesn't take much for God to work with us. But we can only be at that process if what? If we become refined. Because what are the other things that it's mixed with? Copper, zinc, and nickel. Silver, silver zinc, nickel, and something else is typically what gold is mixed with. So the only way to remove those things because it's cost it to be impure is to go through the fire. And you know, my Bible tells me in the book in the book of Peter that we are going to go through the fire. We're going to go through the fire. Each one of us is going to go through the fire. The question is, are you going to come out the same way you went in? Are you going to come out the same way that you went in? That's the question that you've got to just make personal for yourself. Here's that personal thing that the Lord wants to speak this morning is are you going to come out the same way that you win? Because if you did, well then guess what? You're still just 10 karat gold. You may look good. You may carry a title of being gold. But guess what? You know what? Deep within inside, you got impurities in your life. And God wants to remove those things from us. But I'm going to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, it does hurt. It is painful. 
Because as we've spoken about, you can cast out demons, you can cast out evil spirits, but guess what? You can't cast out flesh. You crucify flesh. And being crucified means you're dying. What? Do you know when you're dead? You don't hurt no more. It don't hurt me no more for certain situations that happen. It don't hurt me no more because now I'm dead. We've talked about it before. We've been to a funeral. How many, how many of us ever seen that dead person sit up and say, Hey, I don't like the way you dressed me. I don't like the way you parted my hair or, or the makeup that you put on my face. Nobody's seen that, right? Why not? Because they're dead. Dead people don't carry images. They don't care how they look before other people. They're dead to self and they're dead to everybody else around them. I know I'm getting off a subject here a little bit, but on the same token, all of this is part of God's plan. This is part of His strategic plan. And, and are we going to do, are we going to, are we going to be submissive to what He wants or are we going to kick against the pricks? You know, do, do we not remember hearing Saul say that? Lord, Lord, who is it? You know, who, who you know, um, who are you, Lord? And he said, and "This is Jesus, in whom you persecute." And Jesus continued in the in the King James version. He said, "It's hard for you to kick against the pricks." Well, what does that mean? It's hard for you to go against what I've ordained for your life. Can we? Yeah, we absolutely can go against it. But what do we do? We make it harder for ourselves. How many of us has been arrested before? Don't raise your hand. I have. <laughs> But you know what? You know what I did? I submitted. And when I submitted, then guess what? I wasn't resisting what the officer was wanting to do to me. As a matter of fact, I was so submissive, he handcuffed me up front. Because I didn't pose a threat to him. So what did I do? I made my sentence lighter. So when we kick against what God wants to do, I mean, man, he's going to have you all up on the wall, all jacked up. He might even stick that taser in you. Now, I've never been tased, but I've watched people tased before. And I watched one guy reach back there one time, and he pulled those things out. And then the next cop right next to him hit him again. He fell to the ground because I guess they turned the juice up. And the first thing, you know what the very next thing he said was? Please stop. It hurts. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what he did. So, so that's, that's just the reality is that when we resist what God wants to do in our life, then those things is going to hurt. It's just going to cause pain. It's going to cause chaos in our life. So uh, in the end, we read in Scripture that King Saul had suffered, um, had suffered life-threatening injuries while he was in war. See, because now we now we've kind of fast forward a little bit because God has had a plan for David, and God's plan for David was that he would be the next king of Israel, but God wasn't going to replace King Saul until King Saul was gone because King Saul he had the option to step down, but yet because he was prideful, boastful, excuse me, and he was evil, he just wasn't going to do that. So he ran, he ran, and he pursued David. Excuse me. He pursued David for a long, long, long time. God bless you, my love. And David continued to hide. David continued to hide into places. And you know, and there was there was two opportunities that David had a chance to kill King Saul. Two opportunities. The first time David was high, him and his men. Now he he had six hundred men, 
He didn't have 600 men when he let when he fled on foot from Israel, but he acquired 600 men that wanted to follow him. So at that one point in time where they were in the back of a cave and they were hiding because they didn't want to be found because he knew that the, that the king king uh, excuse me king Saul was going to try to kill him. So it's, the scripture says that King Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Uh, we can just kind of imagine he went to relieve himself. So usually he, he takes his robe off, or you know, without going too much into detail, um, and he kind of sets his robe off to the side. So, so one of David's commanders had said, you know, God's given you this opportunity. God has put him right here in your path to take him out because he's been pursuing you from day one. He's been out to kill you. And because he couldn't kill you, he killed everybody that helped you. Because you know that even King Saul killed the priest for even talking with David, for helping David out. He killed the priest, not just the priest, but the priest's wife and their kids. I mean, that's kind of man. I just I ain't never known nobody to kill a preacher. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure it's happened, but I don't know anybody personal enough that they're that evil. Knowing that they're a minister, knowing that they're a man of the cloth, that they're a man uh, after God's heart, that they're going to get killed or they're going to kill them. So I don't know anybody that evil, but King Saul was just that evil because he had one thing in his mind: whoever's helping David. Whoever's helping David is doing this. They're trying to take the kingdom from me as well and give it to David. They're helping him. So David had a chance to kill him in, in the cave. But you know what David didn't do? David didn't kill him in the cave. David didn't kill him in the cave. So he went over there and he took his knife and he cut off a piece of, a piece of his robe. And when King Saul had got out and put a little bit of distance between himself, he yelled out to him. He said, He said, my father, my father. He honored him. He was showing honor. And he said, he said, you know, I've had the opportunity to kill you today, but I chose not to stretch my hand out to God's anointed one. Even though King Saul was not fulfilling what God had planned for him, David still honored his position. He still honored his position and and time goes on and you know they have good words to exchange with one another you know and and Saul even looked he said well I know the Lord's going to make you king because of how righteous you are and and then here we go two chapters later two chapters later I don't know what the time time frame is on but it's two chapters later and King Saul is pursuing David again after they just had kind words and said that he was not going to mess with them no more, he's chasing him again. So, so, now, so now we get to another part where, again, the Lord delivers King Saul and his army into David's hands again. Because it said, and the, and the Lord caused them to fall into a deep sleep. He caused them to fall into a deep sleep. And in that process, David went over there and he took Abishai with him this time. Now Abishai, man, he was bloodthirsty. I'm going to tell you this right now. He was a bad dude. He was a bad dude. And he, and he went over there. And, and Abishai, he said, he said, My Lord, just speak the word. And I'll, I'll ram this spear right through his head. And you'll never, ever have to worry about him again. Matter of fact, 
You, you say that because just say it. The Lord has delivered him here in your hands again. But you know what David said? He said, we're just going to take his spear and, and there was something else that they were going to take. And they went off without being seen. And then David got up to the top of a hill and he cried out again, My father, my father. And it said Saul recognized David's voice. He recognized David's voice. And again, he said, I, The Lord had delivered you in my hands, but yet I did not take the opportunity to take your life because I will not stretch out my hand against God's anointing. So what do we see happening here? Was that David was being honorable. This was a refining process because, man, it looks like God has done something good for you, but really the, the thing is here is what will you choose? Will you honor what God's Word has said? Will we honor that? Will, will we honor what the Lord has to say from here? You know, so... So, um, so we kind of we get to the end of that, and and you know what happens from there? King Saul no longer pursues David from that point. David passed the test. You know, I spoke something a couple years ago to a friend of mine, and he wrote a sticky note and he put it on the side of his computer monitor. I, I got those all over my monitor too, but but the words that I spoke to him just kind of stood out to him. I said, "You keep taking the test until you pass it." We keep taking the test until we pass it. But when we take our last breath, we no longer have that opportunity to take that test no more. But right now, we still have that opportunity. So are we ready to go on to the next test? It's kind of like school, right? You take the end of the year test, and if you pass it, then guess what? You get to move on to the next year. You get There's promotion. There's promotion in God, and we can't be promoted if we're not passing the test that God has placed there before. So what David did was David passed the test, and King Saul no longer pursued him anymore. So time goes on, and then King Saul goes into battle with the Philistines again. And what happens here? We're going to pick up right here. So in the end, we read in Scripture that King Saul had suffered life-threatened injuries while he was in war. David would proclaim the throne where he would rule and reign over Judea and Israel for the remainder of his days and that the kingdom would remain in his lineage as Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 about the return of the king, King Jesus. So let's read that together. And it said, There shall come a shoot from the stump of Jesse and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jesus Christ came from the lineage of David, the tribe of Judah. And Judah is a representation of what? A lion. And what is a lion known as? Kingly. Kingly. So in closing today, I want to point out that there are four corner pieces of this bigger picture. So now we're in closing today, I'm going to the highlight reel. I want to point out that there's four corners to the bigger picture and these four are not just limited to these characteristics. I want you to hear me on that. These four things that we're going to mention here is not limited to just those things because sometimes we don't, we're not always given a, 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 a rectangle or a square type puzzle. Some, has anybody ever seen a 3D puzzle? Man, those things are tricky to put together because they're actually a 3D. 
So you might have more than one side, more than one extreme corner. Uh, and I don't think we've advanced or got promoted up to doing those yet. And uh, and maybe we won't. I like I like just the simple ones. <laughs> but God God has a plan, right, Brother Richie? God has a plan. So these four corners are not just limited to these characteristics, but these four corners are foundational to the plan of God becoming visible. So the number, the first corner that I want to talk about here, and I don't have slides on this, but I want you to listen, and you can write these four down if you want to. The first corner that we have is servanthood. David's willingness to serve, not himself, but to serve others. Why is that? Because he took the anointing that God wanted to give him to being king. So as being king, you become what? You become a servant to other people. It's just like, oh, well, you're a pastor. You know, we're supposed to serve you. But the reality is, I'm the one that serves y'all. I'm the one that serves y'all. Well, I'm the husband of the house. I'm the head of the house. But you know what that really means? I'm the biggest servant because I take care of my family. I provide for their needs. I'm there for them emotionally. I'm there for them in whatever way that I need to be. So it makes me the servant. So we many times see this as the call of a pastor or a leader, but we cannot neglect the fact of this characteristic to be the necessity of all God's people. This is for every single one of us is that we become a servant. We practice servanthood. So this is your first corner to the puzzle here. The second corner we have is humility. David's humility was in the concern that he was only seeking to serve the king. King Saul that was. So David recognized Saul's leadership above being his father-in-law. David continued to serve him as king even though that the king was out to get him. And he didn't even view him as the father-in-law. He still honored him as what? For his leadership role, for who he was. So when we begin to so when we walk in humility for into what God has for our life. So we as people become way too familiar with God and lose focus of his lordship. I'm going to say that again. We as people become way too familiar with God and lose focus of His Lordship. So that's where I'm talking about the humility part. I'm not talking about being humble before me or humble before man, but being humble before God. Being humble before God. So, so we begin to treat Him as common and live in a manner that opposes His nature. As we can find in First John chapter, uh, chapter one, verses three, four through six, is that that sin is the opposite of God's character. Sin is the opposite of who God is. First John chapter three, verses four and six. It's the opposite of who God is. So there's your second piece, corner piece of the puzzle. Your third piece, your third corner piece of the puzzle is this: is honor. David remained honorable to the lordship of Saul no matter if Saul was in the right or if Saul was in the wrong. David had several opportunities to have vengeance upon the king, but David chose God's plan over the plan of others. And this plan was revealed the day that the prophet Samuel anointed David as king. Have you remained honorable to the spoken word of God? Have you remained honorable? Because when we think about dishonorable, then that means to treat as common. 
So when we treat God's Word as just common, oh, it's just words on a page. Yes, it's words on a page, but God wants these words to come alive in your life and it's part of God's plan. So have we become honorable just like David was towards King Saul, whether he was right or wrong. So there's your corner piece number three. Corner piece number four. And again, remember I said that these corners are not just limited to, to these things, but these four things are foundational to our relationship with God. Number four, for the plan of God, should I say, faithfulness. David remained faithful to God's plan. He had many opportunities to become offended and to detour, uh, detour from the fullness of what God wanted. Listen to this. David spent 15 years from defending... Uh, def uh, oh. David, I'm sorry. David spent 15 years from the time that he was prophesied of being king until the time that he became king. How many of us would say we would lose? Man, well, I would lose heart by then. I mean, let's just be real honest. I would lose heart by then. But see, we, we, we go back to this. But the reality is that all along the way of this journey, we can see that the plan unfolded and he remained true to God's heart. Why do you think that David has been labeled as a man after God's own heart? And that we view David in such this manner that he was a man after God's own heart because he didn't lose hope. He didn't lose the focus of what God had said, had spoke to him, what God had anointed him for. So I'd have to say, you know, a long time ago, the Lord told me that I would be a pastor one day. And I lost sight of that. I lost sight of that word that God gave me. And when I came back to the Lord, the Lord reminded me that I would be a pastor. So what did I do? I began putting stuff together. And three years ago, just a little bit over three years ago, I had my first service right here. First service. And I was so excited because we had 22 people that day. And I was like, oh, Lord, I know this is all you. This, every bit of this is you, Lord. None of this is me. But then you know what happened? COVID. COVID and could never get nobody to come back again. And I just sat back and I just cried. And I was, Lord, what are you doing here? I know you told me to do this. It's part of the, it was part of the refining process. Because it's never about you, my son. It's never about you. It's about what I want. And when it's God's timing, man, it's going to be right. You, you, you just you can't argue with that. You, you, can't, you can't deviate from that. It, it, the proof is in the pudding. So, in sitting back, the Lord says, has told me that it's time now. So I'm going to move forward with what God has called me to do. So the challenge that I have for y'all, the focus that I have for y'all, are your four corner pieces. Your four corner pieces to this plan, this puzzle, this bigger picture that God has for your life. Are you going to put these four corner pieces where they're supposed to be? And in other things, the rest of the puzzle can begin to be built based off of those four things in your life. Those four things in your life. It's just so, so, so important. But it's only a choice that you can make. I can't make it for you. I can't make it for you. Because if I could, you know I would. I've said to people so many times, I wish I could just open up my chest 
not, not in the reality of so that you can see my organs and stuff, but just so that you could really see the consciousness that my desire that I have for God, that I'm so hungry for Him, that God has called me. He told me to consecrate myself. It's not that it's, the Lord told me to do that because it's part of God's plan and He wants me to move forward. But you know what? I can't move forward if I'm standing in the same place. I can't move forward if I'm standing in the same place. We do sit back and we be still and know that God is God. Don't get me wrong on that. But we ain't moving forward if we're standing still. We're not moving forward if we're standing still. And God has called us to so much more. God has an extraordinary plan for each and every one of us here. It doesn't matter of our age. It doesn't matter of what we've done in the past. It doesn't matter even what we're doing right now. And next week, we're going to move on into this. That God has a plan for you. And nobody can change God's plan for you except for you. And we're going to move into that next week. And we'll be talking about Joseph next week. Let us close in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank You today. Lord, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Lord, the Word, Lord, that will transform us and transform our life, Lord, from the inside out. Lord, a Word, Lord, that becomes tangible, Lord, for people around us. Lord, that we become that salt. We become that light, Lord, for to, to all of the people around us. Whether they choose to see it or not, Lord, we still remain faithful in what You've called us to do. Lord, and I thank You for these four corner pieces that You've showed us, Lord, through Your Scripture and how David lived before You and how he took Your Word seriously, Lord, and what You've called him to do. Lord, and we know that You have a plan for us just like You had for David. Lord, and it doesn't matter the size of the picture. It doesn't matter the size of the puzzle. Lord, they are all assembled in the same manner. Lord, and it's one piece at a time. But Lord, as we reflect on Your Word and we see what Your Word has to say and what Your Word has called us to be and what You've called us to do, Lord, Lord, we begin to see this bigger picture unravel. Lord, help us to not become discouraged, Father, Lord, during the refining process, Lord, and how that You are removing things from us, Lord, that is not You. Help us to stay encouraged, Lord. Send us that someone, Lord, to, that will keep us encouraged, Lord. But Lord, most importantly, Lord, as I find so evident in my life that You, Holy Spirit, You keep me encouraged when I have no one else around me, when I have no one else to speak to, no one to throw my burdens upon. But You are always there to listen. You are always there to encourage me, always there to push me forward towards the high call of God. So, Lord, I just ask, Lord, today that You would be with us. Lord, I pray that if there's people here, Lord, that don't know You as your, as not just Savior, but, Lord, as Lord, because You're everyone's Savior, Lord, because You died for everyone. But, Lord, we want You to be Lord, not just in my life, but, Lord, in each person's life. But, Lord, I pray that they would come to know You before it's too late. Lord, and we just stand before You, Lord, now, Lord, just repenting and being repentful, Lord, of any sin, Lord, that's in our life, anything that would separate us from what You've called us to. And, Lord, and You've called us unto Yourself. You've called us to be a follower first and foremost, Lord. So, Lord, and as we're reminded, Lord, that the word repent just simply means to have a change of heart that's manifested by the way that we live. Help us to have a change of lifestyle, a change in the way that we think, Lord, that it becomes an, a heart issue for us. Lord, bless the remainder of our time. Be with us, Lord. Keep us safe. We praise You. We glorify You because You are worthy. And we ask it in the sweet and holy name of Jesus Christ, Lord. Amen. Amen.